welcome to the Awaken podcast. We are so happy that you have decided to join us. Hopefully, you will find the next few minutes challenging and refreshing as we consider together how God is asking us to respond to His grace. If you are listening because you are unable to join us at our physical location, thank you for keeping in step with us, and we will look forward to seeing you in person next Sunday. If you are joining us from outside of Anchorage, then please drop us a line and let us know where you are listening in from. We would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you are exploring faith for the first time or just trying to figure out what Awaken is about, please don't hesitate to drop us a line and introduce yourself. We welcome any question you might have about life, the Christian faith, or Awaken Church. May God be with you as you listen. So, are you ready to walk through the passage? Excitement is waning. The first time I asked you if you're ready, it was a lot more. So, well, I'll give you another chance, potentially. Be ready. Okay, it begins, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. Now, if you're not a regular, you know, well-versed reader of the Bible, you might think we are starting off on the wrong foot because that gives me the image that God is standing here with a big stick and if I don't share Jesus, he is gonna whack me a good one. That's not the intention, right? So the Bible says in multiple places things like fear the Lord. And it's not that we're walking around quaking and quivering, you know, hoping we don't get struck. That's not what is intended. A better word is respect or reverence, like revere. So we're saying because of what God, because of who he is and because of what he has done for us, then we live reverent lives. We are careful about how we live. And we, we live in response, in respectful and reverent response to what he has done for us. So because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. We work hard to persuade others. Isn't that interesting? I thought Christians weren't supposed to be manipulative, and we're not. That's why it doesn't say manipulate. That's why it says persuade, because there are two different things. Manipulate is when you lie, when you overpower, or when you use some leverage you have to force the other party to do something that benefits you in some way. That's manipulation. Persuasion is I see something is good and I want you to see that it is good as well because it will benefit you. I know something is good. I have had a good experience and I want you to experience good so I am going to try to persuade you. So persuasion is when you've got, you've, you've, you just got off a roller coaster that was amazing, you say, whoa! And you walk up to your friend who hasn't been on that roller coaster and you say, you have got to check this out. This will blow your mind. Best roller coaster ever. And maybe somewhere in there, they're like, yeah, I'd like to be as excited as that guy. I want to go on the roller coaster. That seems like fun. Manipulation is uh, (laughs) when you know somebody hates roller coasters. 
and you say, hey, would you trust me to put a blindfold on you? And you walk them and you sit them down and you tell them, hey, this is a park bench, but it has a seat belt. <laughs> it's gonna be a new experience for you. <laughs> and you laugh the whole time. <laughs> so we are, this is something you can discuss at lunch, whether or not you think this is true, but I think it's true that we are designed to be persuaded and that we're designed to persuade. Uh, like that's part of our, that seems to be part of our experience. And you know, we could go through this anecdotally and certainly statistically, but we are highly influenced by the people around us, right? I mean, I still, I, I get calls all the time, one of the interesting things about being a pastor, about the most random things, right? Do you know a good window cleaner? I, you know, and I want to say, have you heard of the internet? <laughs> no, you can call me for references. That's how we operate, right? That is how we operate, right? Why are reviews so popular? I think about that. We don't just look at products anymore and say, oh, a product looks good. We don't do that anymore, Right? We, we start, we look at how many stars and we look at, you know, you can click and to, uh, on the most helpful reviews, right? Where other people have voted what's most helpful in the review. You can read those. And you can really find a lot out about the product. Uh, but we are, I mean, we are very persuadable. Right, you can probably all remember a time when an older sibling or somebody, you know, one of your junior high buddies convinced you to do something very dumb, right? So, I mean, we can be persuaded to do some ridiculous things. There are some people that they're like rocks, right? They are like rocks. And it, they seem impersuadable. But trust me, they're not. They're only impersuadable in some areas, Right? If, you, if you start looking at their life a little bit, you'll see. They've, just, they've, been res they've decided to be resolute in some areas and so they seem invincible, <laughs> but they're not. God seems to, be, seems to have given us this thing where, where we are to use this persuasion thing. Uh, <laughs> what I'd like for you to do is to think about if you discovered some really good news, who would you share that good news with? Who would you want to bring along with you? Right, I mean, let's say I like nachos, which I do, so this is a good analogy. And let's say that I just discovered a microwave that made nachos for you. Like at the beginning of the month, you poured in a bunch of chips, you supplied cheese, and you supplied salsa and some extra fresh jalapenos. And all you had to do, you're shaking your head, you don't, you know, no jalapenos? You're not living, man. <laughs> oh, persuade you, okay. 
But then all you gotta do is walk into the kitchen and say, nachos. And at, at the perfect, perfect time later, the drawer opens and there's the perfect nachos. I mean, the cheese is not over-melted, not under-melted. It's, it is perfect. Now, I would say, I'd be excited about that product, right? I would start calling people. Hey, I'd have people over, we're having nacho night. And we would, we would get after that. I would show it off, right? So that's a, that's a very trivial example compared to what I'm talking about. But who would you share good news with, right? Maybe some people are, you know, your family, your close friends. Who would you share good news with? You know, one of the things about the early church is that it spread because God appointed these apostles to go do miraculous signs and wonders. And within, um, get my dates right here, within, at least within 50 years, uh, there are people from the Jerusalem area who are in Caesar's court in Rome sharing the good news of Christ. Um, so there's this, this special thing that God has where he's spreading the good news through some specifically appointed people. But as historians look at how Christianity spread in, in the early days, what they note is that it spread largely because one neighbor told their neighbor, because one coworker told their coworker. Common people who weren't apostles they shared the good news of Christ with their friends. So it wasn't just 12 apostles that went out and, you know, within 300 years, the Roman Empire was uh, vastly Christian, right? And other parts of the world as well. It was because people received good news and because they are social people, because humans are social people, they shared that good news. Now, one difference might be that they actually thought it was good news. I mean, next level good news. You see, if they lived to 40, they were lucky, right? So just... Just take your life expectation of 92, let's say, if you have that in your mind, and just shrink that down to 40. Are you more concerned about what happens after death? I would be, right? As a, you got 92 years, let's say, if you're lucky now, lucky, in quotes. Uh, see what I'm saying? The good news becomes better news. And, uh, you know, you're probably either a slave because you're, you've been forced to be a slave or you're a slave by contract or maybe you're, <laughs> you're working at a wage that makes you feel like a slave. But when the good news comes along, it's really good news. Because the good news speaks of a world where there is perfect justice. It speaks of a world where you know, there is no oppression. Where those in power and authority seek to serve those who are not. And so it's a completely different world and kingdom and 
the hope for that kingdom is really extraordinary. People aren't walking around in those days trying to figure out how they're gonna be best entertained for the next few hours. They're trying to figure out how they're gonna survive in life, how they're gonna get food, how they're gonna keep from getting wiped out. And so when they received the good news, well, it was good news. So they sought to persuade other people to understand this incredible thing that had happened, that Jesus had come to earth and had conquered death and was returning for them one day to offer them, to give them eternal life. They thought that was good news. I think it's maybe possible for us to forget sometimes about the reality of our situation because in Anchorage, we are quite affluent. Uh, we could argue that there have never been a more affluent, peop- more affluent people than we are in this city. So sometimes maybe when we hear the word good news, we're not grasping the full reality of that good news. You might be thinking, oh, I didn't really come to be hounded about sharing my faith. For one, it's a little awkward sometimes. And for two, I've got a lot of other things going on in my life. I had a family member who died. I've got this relationship that's been broken. I've got a lot of other things like that are not easy to go through. And what I needed to hear today was that God is going to be with me and he is gonna solve my problems. That's what I needed here today, but you're not saying that. Well, here's something to remember. God thinks more of you than you do. God thinks more of you than you do. Uh, you know, think Moses, Gideon, and lots of other people in the Bible. God calls us to do extraordinary things. God believes that you can handle the things that you are going through. God God promises us that if we trust in him, he will provide the strength that we need, right? God also teaches us that through all of those things that we're going through, all of those difficult things we are going through, he is using all that, not only to to shape our faith, but also to use as a witness to the world, Right, so God believes we can go through difficult things and we can advance the good news of Jesus. And I would suggest to you that the the scriptures teach that if we focus on advancing the good news of Jesus, then those difficult things can be seen, known, and experienced in a different light, a different perspective. You see, people are, are watching us. They wanna know how is it that Christians go through these things that people go through, right? How is it that Christians deal with when they're depressed, when they have anxiety, when relationships break up, when people die? What do Christians do? Is there an answer there? Is there any hope there, right? So these are primary opportunities for us to be witnesses for Christ. We work hard to persuade others, so... I'm hoping that you will think about who you have an opportunity to persuade, 
and that you will reignite the fire to call them, to get with them, to start conversation with them. That's only verse one of, or verse 11, that's only the first verse. We better hustle through. Uh, Verse 15, let's skip down, that'll help us. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. And isn't that the crux of it all, right? This decision about who will be master. (laughs) I prefer being my own master and and I'm confident you prefer being your own master as well because that's what we do. I could give you like a thousand examples from yesterday where I wanted to be the master, but God said, no, I'm the master. Are you gonna follow me or not? Right, and, and doesn't Jesus tell us, let's talk about the master, some of the things the master says. One of the things he says is, I have come to seek and save the lost. He made his mission clear. And then he said, the servant is not greater than the master, right? He's washing his disciples' feet and he's explaining to them, you wanna follow me, this is what it looks like. The servant is not greater than the master. So if we are followers of Jesus, if we want to follow him, then we do the thing that the master did and that is to seek and save those who are lost. It wasn't very popular in Jesus' day because in Jesus' day, it was really about who could lead the best Bible study. Who who had the most interesting interpretation of some nuance of how to be righteous? And Jesus redefined what righteousness looks like, not redefined, but correctly defined what righteousness looks like by pursuing those who are lost, those who are weak, those who are downtrodden, those who are broken, those who were in need. So who will be master truly in our lives? Verse 18. And all this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Who thinks that's a good idea? God has given us, like all of us, this task of reconciling people to him. I don't think that's a very good idea because I know things I've done. Like I'm familiar with my past and I don't think I'm the right candidate. All right, and that's where we join the ranks of Gideon and Moses who said, "Uh, not sure you've been paying attention, but I'm not your guy. I'll help you recruit, but I'm not it. God has chosen to give us the task of reconciling people to him. It says, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. You can, take, you can take this one of two ways. One is you can feel the weight of it all, right? You can feel the weight. Uh, Did you say ambassador? I think that's a pretty high-level situation, right? Uh, I am responsible to tell other people about Jesus, and you're going to use me? Right? And you can let that weight, you can let that weight keep you from stepping into action, or you can 
also receive that by saying, wow. God sees something in me, knows something about me. God understands something that I am not getting. He has appointed me as an ambassador. I mean, let's say there was a group of people who did not know the story of Jesus. They did not know the good news. And somebody came to you and said, I am looking for somebody to represent Jesus. Like when they see you, that will be their understanding of what Jesus is like. How many of you are comfortable stepping into that position? It's a weighty position, but this is what we are called to, right? This is what makes a difference is that God promises to be with us in that. He's not sending us out in our perfection because we don't have it. He's not sending us out in our great ability because we don't have it. He is sending us out and saying, I will go with you. I will be with you, right? When you're in those courts, when you're in the synagogue, wherever you are, when I prompt you to share the gospel or you have the opportunity to share the gospel, when somebody asks about your faith, I will be with you. So this is like an advanced ambassador. The king is with us. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. There's the good news, right? As God's partners, whoa. As God's partners, that's high level. I don't know if you ever think about things like that, but that is high level. We beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it, right? This whole story of we're, we're not just ignoring what God has done. We're seeing what God has done. And in reverent fear, in reverence and in respect, out of respect for what has been done on our behalf, we are stepping into obedience, which is to share the good news of Christ. Now, there are lots of dramatic stories about sharing the good news of Christ. I'll share one with you quickly. Uh, they're, they're inspiring, right? Uh, in the uh, 1880s, 1850s, 1880s, in that range, uh, there was quite a bit of evangelism, like missionary work into China. Uh, you can think of somebody like William Carey, a famous missionary. And the gospel was spreading uh, through China in some miraculous ways. Um, so much so that it spread to the place where it, they, they, where it was bordering Korea. And there were these uh, three uh, Chinese Christians who felt that the Koreans needed to hear the good news of Christ, even though officially they were anti-Christian. And so they decided they were going to smuggle the Chinese Bible in because Korean writing and Chinese Writing apparently is close enough so that the Koreans can read Chinese, or it's easy enough to teach. And so these three Christians drew straws to see who got to go first, who got to take an illegal religion into a hostile country. Uh, the first one attempted to go through, got caught with a Bible, and was executed. Same thing happened to the second one. So the third one who has left, <laughs> this would have been a good time to bow out, right? No witnesses. Decides he needs to be more creative. And so he takes each individual page of his Bible and tears it out of his Bible 
and weaves it into a rope. He puts his luggage together and he uses that rope to tie up his luggage. And so when he came to customs, they asked him to untie it and fold out his blanket that he had his stuff in. And they looked through his stuff. There's no Bible. They allowed him to pass through. On the other side, he took his rope apart and he rebuilt his Bible. And as a result, 40 years later, when missionaries were allowed to go into Korea, there were quite a few Christians who were already there. So I'm not asking you to do that. And God doesn't seem to be asking us to do that. Although maybe as I told that story, God laid something on your heart. And you just decided that you want to be a missionary like that. For the rest of us, God is calling us to do the simple day-to-day, look for the day-to-day opportunities with our families, our coworkers, our friends, the people that we run into randomly here in this place, because God has put us in this place with our personalities, in our positions, in our places. We are the ambassadors for this place here. God is making his appeal to Anchorage through us. We are plan A for this city. So I'll tell you another story. There was a man by the name of Edward Kimball. Maybe some of you have heard this story before. He was a Sunday school teacher in the 1850s or so. And he had a young man. This was a Sunday school for teenagers. So this would be like, you know, in our day, this would be like a youth pastor maybe, right? A youth leader. He had this young man in his group that he he didn't think was like sort of understanding, wasn't, wasn't like responding to the gospel, it was just kind of you know, on the edge. And so he wanted to have a direct intentional conversation with this young man about what he, how he would respond to, to Jesus. And this young gentleman worked in a shoe store. So he went to where he worked and he asked to see him. He talked with him for a few minutes, asked him some questions and shared the story of Jesus with him and asked him what he would do. It seemed at first to be a failure and Edward Kimball walked away from that interaction discouraged and dejected. He thought he had totally boxed the job. He thought, you know, he wasn't sure if he'd ever do something like that again. He put himself out there and things didn't seem to be successful. But a few days later, D.L. Moody, this young man, if you, if you know who that is, now you know the significance of this story, D.L. Moody walked into his Sunday school class and said, I want to follow Jesus. D.L. Moody is uh, one of the most prolific evangelists in the history of the United States, has shared Christ with thousands upon thousands of people. Uh, At one of D.L. Moody's uh, speaking engagements, There was a man by the name of F.B. Meyer, a scholar who was very skeptical about D.L. Moody and this movement that was going on. But in that service that he was at, he was moved by D.L. Moody's preaching and it changed how he preached and how he presented and it changed his level of passion. He was transformed. And he went back and spoke at his in his lecture series. And there was a man there by the name of J. Wilbur Chapman who 
from that experience decided to become an evangelist traveling around the United States and had a significant ministry sharing the word of Christ with people all over the United States. And he recruited a young man by the name of Billy Sunday, who was a famous evangelist. He was a uh, professional baseball player who converted to Christianity and began leading revival meetings. We don't do this anymore. I think there's somebody trying to get a tent revival going here in Anchorage, but you know we do different things these days. But he was famous for when it was his time to preach, he would run down the middle aisle at full speed, and he was a baseball player, professional athlete, so he was quite fast, so this got people's attention. And he was famous for preaching hour-plus sermons, basically wearing people down so they had no choice but to receive Jesus at the end of the sermon. But he had a massively powerful ministry in the United States, including one revival meeting in Charlotte, North Carolina, where uh, there was a group of young men who came to know the Lord as a result of his invitation. And this young group of men decided that they would pray on a weekly basis for Charlotte, North Carolina, and for a revival to return there one day in such a way that they had experienced it. And they prayed for many years, and eventually they invited uh, a traveling evangelist by the name of Mordecai Ham to come to Charlotte. They organized the event, and one of those men that were part of that prayer group brought his son along, and his son's name was Billy Graham. And Billy Graham, in that moment, accepted Christ as his savior and decided not to live for himself, but to live for others. If you don't know the story of Billy Graham, Billy Graham has shared the good news of Christ with more people than any other human being as far as we know in recorded history, millions upon millions. In 1988, on July 17th, Friday in Denver, Colorado, Billy Graham was leading a crusade, and I was at that crusade. And I will probably be the next Billy Graham. <laughs> as close as I get to that story is that my middle name is Edward, and this story all started with Edward Kimball, who did something very, very simple. He felt a nudge from the Holy Spirit to go and speak to this young man who he was not sure whether or not he knew Christ. He did that very simple thing. He felt awkward about it. Because when we're trying to persuade people at this level, it can be difficult, it can be awkward, and the enemy is against us. The enemy does not want people to know the freedom that Christ offers. The enemy wants people to think there is no purpose for life. There is no meaning here, and the end of it, you die, and there is no hope. And so the enemy is against us, but Jesus promises to be with us. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. So this is my hope, that as we've talked about this, Somebody has come to mind. Yes, I need 
to talk to that person, right? And if you've talked to them before, talk to them again. People don't just change when they're embedded in one conversation. It takes multiple conversations, right? And maybe later on when you're not even there, you're not around, you're not in the same place or you've already died, this person finally hears all of the things you have been saying. They finally reflect on it. They finally get to a place where they're ready to surrender themselves. So keep on telling the story. Keep on praying. Keep on interceding. Keep on telling the story. Find new ways. Be creative. Figure out how to be more persuasive, not more oppressive, more persuasive. This is what we are called to do. This is what our master has invited us into. This is the best way for us to serve the people around us, to share with him the good news of Jesus Christ. Please bow your heads. Father, I pray that if there is anybody in this room who does not know you, who has not taken you as their king, Lord, that you would move in their hearts to invite them in this moment, that they would confess that you are Lord and believe that you have risen from the dead and that they would join in with us. Father, I pray that for those of us who know you, who experience you on a daily basis, Lord, that you would help us to deeply understand the good news and fill us with a passion, a desire to share that good news with others. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I am going to pray over us Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to be understood fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in all the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thank you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next week, if not before. Thank you again for listening. It is a joy to be able to share God's truth with you. Hopefully you found this teaching helpful to your understanding of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in today's world. And hopefully you are inspired to take a further step of faith. Please let us know how we can be praying for you as you continue your journey. If you live in the Anchorage area, you are welcome to join us any Sunday. And we have an Awaken 101 event every six weeks. And this is also a great way to find out more about our church. Please sign up for that event by going to the events tab at our website, awakenalaska.com and looking for Awaken 101. Feel free to share this podcast with your friends and we will see you next week.